welcome to this episode of Leadership Lane. I am really um, pleased to be joined today by um, a wonderful writer and a wonderful woman um, doing some amazing things in the construction industry, Eleanor Moshe. Welcome, Eleanor, to Leadership Lane. Good morning, Rita, and fantastic to be in this lane with you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And um, Eleanor, just by, by way of introduction, um, Eleanor, as I said, she's doing remarkable things in the construction industry. So she's an ambitious and driven thought leader, um, best-selling author with a book um, already published and one on the way, podcast host. The podcast is called Constructing You. Um, and a businesswoman disrupting the construction industry. Um, Eleanor is also the founder and Australia's first construction coach. Uh, and I think, um, Eleanor, it sounds like you've cornered um, quite like a unique aspect of the market there, which is always fantastic, you know, in terms of that unique factor. So I'd love to hear more about that as we have a chat today. Um, so it sounds like you're really, you know, breaking some ceilings and, and I can throw in lots of different metaphors and analogies there around <laughs> what you could be doing for a construction, but I'll leave that because it'll get corny at some point. Um, but you've got a whole bunch of experience, Eleanor, that no doubt you've been able to really pour into to your book. So today, um, what I'd love to do is have a chat with you about your leadership lane and, and what you've done to really, you know, get across the lanes of leadership, uh, the, the leadership lane um, I, I love to use the analogy of swimming lanes. Not that I'm much of a swimmer, but I've always been fascinated by watching these swimming lanes at, at the pools, watching my kids swim and, and understanding what makes us be ready, you know, to pop into the next lane, other than, of course, someone saying to us, yep, you're ready to jump up to that next level or you're ready to jump into that next lane. Um, I love to know what we feel intrinsically that helps us feel confident to move into that next lane um, within our own, in our own right. So I think we're we're in for a great conversation with Eleanor today. So Eleanor, if you'd like to maybe just start with telling us a little bit about you and, um, and how you kind of got into your leadership lanes. Of course, thank you, Rita. And I came from a point in time in my career where I was saying before we hit record that I hated my career. And I was a person who was deeply dissatisfied. I was dulled down and I was, completely meek in my approach not just to leadership I thought that was a concept that was reserved for this upper echelon highly corporate successful stereotype of society and it would never truly be available for me unless I put in two decades worth of work and then hopefully everything was on a hope and a wish and I've never heard of anyone anyone's hopes and wishes come true I've only ever heard of people's plans come true and I got to a point in my career where I truly, as I said, I hated it and something wasn't right out. I was, I was out of total alignment. Where I was and where I wanted to go, there was a massive disconnect. And that's what initially prompted me to say, you know what, I do believe my vision more than my current reality. I do need to first learn how to lead myself before I even contemplate leading others and to introduce a leadership lesson of course early in the podcast if you can't lead yourself you cannot lead others and that's why my podcast is about constructing you it's you first because followers will only follow a leader who has demonstrated that they can achieve success for themselves in the first place most people don't have long-term sustainable success and sustainable results that actually gives them the leadership credibility and I didn't want to be a leader that when you look behind the facade, yes, pun intended, there's no substance, there's nothing there. So I undertook my own leadership development, my own leadership training, and 
what I am so grateful for, and I will be until the end of time, that the thought leadership model of entrepreneurship and, of course, leadership opened its way to me. And that is precisely the type of leadership that I do. And that's how I've been able to niche. That's how I've been able to have the most magnetic and congruent personal brand that there is in the construction industry. But of course, create the impact and influence that I do truly want because I am a heart-centered leader as well. It's not just about hey, here's a program, here's whatnot. No, it's deeper than that. And that's where I think a lot of people do operate also at the surface level of what they're doing and truly not getting into their hearts, not just the minds of people that are following them. So it's been an incredible journey. But in order to get into that leadership lane, I had to undertake immense construction works on myself. And that, of course, first and foremost, was a deconstructing process of letting go of everything that I knew, everything that I thought that I knew about what leadership actually entails. That's fascinating. I think, Eleanor, so many things that you said there resonated. I loved what you said about, um, you know, wishes and dreams and plans. Um, And one of my very good friends always says, you know, that if you um, if you basically, if you don't plan, you are planning to fail is, is the motto that she goes by. So, um, you know, what have you learned from that? Because I think when, when we're young, we're developing our careers, we can have lots of ideals about what we think it's going to look like. Have you always naturally been a planner or do you think that that's something, I mean, being in project management, I'm pretty sure you're going to say yes, but, um, but what have you, you know, from planning from a leadership development perspective, what's really um, worked well for you that you would share with others as, you know, something that they could perhaps take on around developing their leadership? I have always been the person who's had their head up, well up in the clouds, but I've also had my feet planted firmly on the ground. And once I get an idea, I'm very quickly into execution mode. I don't like there being a lag and that has been to my benefit, but I've also learned that not everything needs to be done right now. Some things are not yet. It's not a no. So as someone who is naturally a visionary, I have learned to update my title, for, therefore I'm a leader. Absolutely not. It has to be earned. The rent is due every day. No one owes me anything. If this is what I wish to do, I need to constantly earn my place. So when it comes to leadership development, most people have a very lax, loose approach to it. When it comes to developing yourself as a leader, number one, it's for life. This isn't a job. This isn't a title. This is a lifestyle choice. And it has to permeate every single crevice of your life because otherwise you're not in full alignment with yourself and you're not actually living up to leadership of the highest standards. And when most people take that really lax and loose approach, their learning isn't deliberate. And that's one thing that I had to realize when it came to my leadership growth process is that it had to be structured and it had to be deliberate. And there was no chance that I would have learned by myself everything that I needed to know and everything that I do know right now. If I had even with all my diligence gone and tried to find it out for myself, you need a mentor on this journey. You need someone that can enable you to bypass the time from where you are to actually where you want to go because of course yes leadership can only truly be learned not from the armchair I mean we see so many armchair leaders it is learned on the front line 
But when you are on the front line, there are so many mistakes and challenges that you can either bypass or that you know how to handle when they do arise. So mentoring is is key. If, if a leader wants to be a leader and has never actually invested in themselves to their own blind spots, to know what they don't know that they don't know, then they're getting other, they want other people to do the one thing which they're not doing within themselves. And that is to lead themselves first. So yes, of course, what I've learned in the leadership journey is First of all, there's so many things that I don't know that I don't know. And the first part is that discovery phase. And then you have to hone in on everything that you do need to know. I mean, yes, of course, we have so many curiosities, but I can't follow every single one of them. I need to truly deep dive into one of those things and focus on what will work to provide me with the greatest quantum leaps moving forward. And then it actually comes down to the implementation stage of it. it. It's that deliberate and determined learning that generates intentional growth. Mm-hmm. Right? Most people, when they think that they don't need mentoring or coaching, they think that they can figure out everything off by themselves. Sure, there is enough information out there, but information isn't going to create an exemplary leader. Insight does, wisdom does. Plus, in the first place, how do you even know what questions you should be asking? I certainly didn't. I don't have the ego to to say that. And then only after a while, there's the compounding effect of this is what I know. This is who I am. And it starts to show. And then, of course, we go again. It never stops. We're a lifelong, a lifelong student. But this hasn't been through ad hoc. I'm just going to read this random book. When I'm on level one and I'm reading a level five book, I mean, yes, it's a nice to know thing, but what do I need to know right now? Yeah. And I think um, it's so important that at different levels of our of our leadership, um, we realise that uh, there is a lot to be said for that organic development and growth, but there is also a lot to be said for that planned approach. And I think leaders often, they are, they're graduates of being very great technical experts and all of a sudden then they're propelled up into leadership Uh, but too often I think they're still doing it in conjunction with their technical expert hat on and and I think that's the reality of business yeah you know we um I read a fantastic piece only this week um from HBR and it was Linda Grattan and another colleague that talked about you know as leaders we we actually should focus on the business of leadership and if we're trying to do both then potentially we're spreading ourselves too thin so it was an interesting take and maybe a very idealistic one on you know a leader Uh, And almost they were suggesting in the article, let's actually have two people that are responsible for a team. One is, you know, responsible for managing the operational output of the team and one that is responsible for managing the people and that people leadership aspect. Now, whether that's right or wrong, I don't know. Um, You know, I think that there's some truth to it and I think that there are some things we can learn, but also, um, as I said, it might be a little bit too idealistic. Uh, But it's certainly, you know, based on what you've said there, it makes me think that you know, leadership, we often see it as an add-on to what we're doing as opposed to the core game, you know, that we're playing. And uh, and perhaps if others saw it as that core game, uh, it would maybe take less energy and effort around the development because you see it as your prime thing and focus that you're meant to be, um, that you're meant to be doing. Uh, but, for, but for some, it's not, you know, and um, but we learn, as you say, it's a lifelong learning journey and, um, and we do that. Uh, I'm interested, um, Eleanor, and often we... Um, 
I love what Tim Ferriss does in um, Tribe of Mentors where he asks them, and so this is borrowed from Tribe of Mentors, but, you know, what's been your, your biggest leadership win and what's been the biggest fail? Um, for you in terms of developing your career, I'll start with the win. What do you think has been the most significant thing that has really, um, you know, elevated your ability to lead to the to the level that you do? Thank you. That's a great question and also a great podcast by Ferris as well, a show that he does. The, you know, when you asked this question, I truly took the moment to reflect and I am so proud of how I have been able to introduce a whole new model of having a career in construction and that is through the thought leadership model. No one has done this. No one has created the focus, the niche, the literature, the programs, the type of content, the, the whole lot that I have done, it hasn't been done before. And to introduce something into an industry that is so rigid, that is so conventional, that is so suffocating, that is so linear, that is so structured, that is so archaic. I mean, construction isn't sexy. I don't know what people think it, you know, is glamorous about it. Absolutely nothing. To introduce what I have done into such a culture and culture is simply a reflection of the collective mindset has been an incredible win for me to think that I was able to carve out my own pathway and be the first person to go there and then have other people say, hey, this is possible. I now want this for my career as well is such a huge win because I didn't see when I was starting my own journey where I would find the marriage between everything that I love, my passion, my mission, my vision, my strengths, my value, and the conventional construction industry. I mean, no one was going to quote unquote, hire me to write a book, hire me to start a podcast, hire me to mentor leaders and future leaders in the industry. I had to generate that for myself and to go where no one has gone before and to also in many cases, be the tip of the spear takes an immense amount of backbone and courage to do and of course what people see is the books the programs the business they don't see the the vitriol that gets thrown at you they don't see everything that happens behind the scenes they don't see all the evenings and days when things don't go quote unquote to plan so to be able to do this for you know on nearly the second just about the second year running and to have a book on leadership is such a huge win for me and one that I am truly proud to stand by. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the, the work that you, your work um, would no doubt be inspiring others that, as you say, you know, um, maybe are at the start of their leadership lane, you know, thinking or, or in, that, in that initial lane thinking, well, how do I move from here? And so to be able to have that role model that they can see is so vitally important. We know that um, particularly through um, gender gender equity work and, and being able to have that role model and be able to see it and be able to know that you can also achieve. That's a, that's a amazing. And congratulations again on, on the second book that's coming up. Um, so that is Leadership in Construction and that'll be out very soon. So as soon as it is out, um, Eleanor, we'll make sure we let our listeners know about that too. That's coming out of March 11th. So time is sticking. Good. Yeah. Not that far away. Not that far no. away. All right. So um, conversely, <laughs> though, failure. yes, we, we often learn. I mean, these are the moments where we learn uh, sometimes the most and sometimes yeah. more than what we learn from the win. So um, what has been, you know, a moment for you where you think, yeah, that, that, you know, you would categorize it as a fail. Now with fail, I, I love the acronym of um, first attempt in learning. So feel mm. free to adopt that if you like, but what has been the biggest leadership fail for you that you've learned the most from? 
society has such a heavy relationship with failure and you either learn from it or you move forward. It's not a bad thing. And one thing that I learned from that, I also have to purposely go out and fail because otherwise, where is the experience going to come from? Like you said, I will only, you extract the deepest and best lessons from the failures, not just the win. There, there are so many, this could obviously be a podcast episode within itself, but the one key thing which caused me to have the most impact and influence is being all of who I am. When I was in the construction industry, I only saw a very small type of, a very small archetype of what leadership looked like. And then I started to emulate. I became a chameleon. And over time, it happens like cliff, like waves hitting a cliff shore, you lose yourself. And if you lose yourself, you lose it all. And I lost 95% of me to the industry, to not recognizing who I am, because I thought that I needed to be an amalgamation of what everyone else thought that I should be. I was, and that's what also allowed me to feel so diminished and depleted and meek and have no fuel left in the confidence tank because I gave up so much of me. I gave up agency over where I was going, what I was doing to everyone else because that's how little belief I had in myself. And emulating the leadership of others is such a dangerous road to go down. You can take principles, but you cannot be them. And when you stop trying to be like others and instead be all of who you are in every single arena, you will succeed because you will succeed based on being different in a society that is addicted to conformity where most, you know, 90% of people, they have herd mentality, being different and simply going the other way because you already are in alignment will immediately put you in such stead against everyone else in order to lead them and that's why this is what leadership have to do because if you're part of the herd you cannot lead from the herd you cannot lead someone from the same consciousness that they are on and that's why if you don't lead yourself first and if you don't figure out everything in here then you won't be able to figure out anything else out there so I learned that lesson that was an expensive lesson but I've lost myself once I'm never going to do that again yeah. Um, you raise something that comes up time and time again in my conversations with leaders, and that is um, the issue of confidence. And so there are lots of different factors that can, you know, um, that can impact our confidence. And, and by the sounds of it there, you know, what you've told us there in terms of your very generous story is there, there was that time when, you know, um, through adversity, sometimes our confidence is impacted. What is the best way, particularly for women in leadership, um, because I do, you know, without stereotyping it, but I do hear this time and time again from, from leaders. Um, I also hear it um, equally, you know, across all representations of um, gender around finding that conviction and that confidence. So sometimes it's about the step up um, into different roles. Sometimes it's about a career move across. But what are some ways that people, if they're not naturally confident, what are some ways um, that you found through your travels can really help build that confidence and conviction? I have confidence for breakfast, but <laughs> I didn't start off like this. Mm. First of all, people are not putting confidence in the wrong sentence. So it's not that they don't have confidence. They do have confidence. They have chosen not to recognize it. If you look at a seven-year-old child, they have confidence. 
they'll say what they want, they'll do what they want, they want to wear their favorite pajamas, they will damn well wear their favorite pajamas. They have confidence. Then all of a sudden, these seven-year-old children become 21-year-old adults. What happened? Where did the narrative shift? So they have confidence, they always have, that we have the whole universe inside us and behind us. There is no shortage of confidence. They have chosen not to actually recognize it. But when we're looking at low confidence, it's a consequence of little to no personal improvement. And that is a quote from my mentor, Ron Malhotra, who is all confidence and, and power. But when people don't know who they are on the inside, they won't have confidence on the outside. If someone isn't in alignment, if they don't truly know who they are on the macro and micro, they don't take risks because they don't believe in themselves. They don't have the backbone. They don't have the baseline element of leadership, which is courage in order to then go and take that risk. The risk is where experience comes from. It comes from action. So because I have tried and failed, tried and failed, won, tried and failed so many times, of course that gives me confidence because I'm doing exactly what other people won't do. I'm willing to risk it. I'm willing to risk the ridicule. I'm willing to launch and fail and have to go again. That's what gives me confidence. It doesn't come from sitting on the sidelines doing what everyone else is, is doing. But confidence comes from people's mindset as well. It comes from their paradigm and their paradigm influences their thoughts. And what work do people do the least on? It's their mindset. And this is the issue with most leadership development. It is very tactical. You can't tell someone to go into the workplace and, you know, speak confidently when fundamentally their paradigm and their mindset as a whole they see themselves as being someone who is not worthy they don't have a lot of self-worth they see themselves as someone who is you know just a corporate employee they don't see themselves as a person of influence a big part of it starts with their self-image and I write about this in my book as well and it is a concept that is first conned by uh, Maxwell in psychocybernetics, it's your self image. So it all comes down to someone's conditioning. And conditioning isn't a bad word. We're all conditioned in one way or another. But you rather use your conditioning and your programming to see your objectives rather than go against your objectives. So if people truly want confidence, well, go work on yourself for 12 months' time. Because if you do, if you take the tactical approach to confidence, you might have one win, you might feel pumped up for a day, but then after that day, you go back to being who you were, someone who is in a fearful, negative state that truly hates on themselves. Mm. So it sounds like, you know, um, from what you're saying there, and I think it absolutely accords with so much of the literature on confidence, but it is, you know, largely driven internally. I think, um, you know, some people though can get themselves to a point where they it's really hard for them to recognize, you know, they, they can move very much into that victim mindset of it's being done to me. I'm not getting the right opportunities. Um, you know, that, you know, that, you know, comparisonitis, which can occur with others around them. There's all those kinds of factors I think that can sometimes impact. And it's, I was talking to a group this week about symptoms and, and root causes. And often it's the, the symptom that we see, which is not really the thing to address. It's, it's how do we get to the root cause? How do we even identify that? You, you know, you mentioned mindset. I think that that is so important, but often the most challenging thing to work on because you've got to be, you've got to have that preparedness, you know, to, um, to be ready to do that work. It's, 
probably the most difficult work that we will do, you know, working, you know, on ourselves um, as humans and, and really working on what we contribute um, to others, to society and, and to the planet. So some great points there around confidence and, um, and one that I think is under, underrated and underestimated around how much, how much is involved in continuing to, to build it. I think sometimes naturally people have it um, and, and have it in spades, as you said, you know, eating it for breakfast, but for some that don't, it is a it's a real constant thing to to work on, um, and then it also depends on you know the the messages you've received, um, maybe even as a child and, and growing up and through your career and and how do you use those and shape them as leverage and points of strength, which can be so challenging to do. And again, that is another podcast in itself. So I think we're up to three now, Eleanor. Potentially, um, <laughs> that'll come out of this one, um, Eleanor. The what I wanted to um, talk to you about now was how do we know we're ready for the next lane of leadership? And uh, I mentioned before, it could have been even pre-record that I'm always fascinated by swim lanes in a swimming pool and, you know, that slow, medium and, and fast lane, which is essentially where um, the leadership lane concept, a lot of it came and originated from movement across the lanes and knowing when we're ready. So um, in, in, I guess, in the theme of leadership, how do we know when we're ready for a next move? Because, of course, we may think we're ready, but those around us, our sponsors, our managers, our leaders, those that are, you know, tasked with helping or making the decision as to whether we move or not, they may not think we're ready. So what, what do we do in that situation? We, we think we're ready. Others may not. Others may think we're ready. We may feel that we're not. How do we get across those, um, those leadership lanes? Good question. And a few points. And, of course, you know, what people try and always look for is the perfect time. There is no such thing as the perfect time. That's just a term that has been conned from the new age spirituality to make people feel good that everything has to be in alignment and we have to be in total comfort in order to go do anything. That's never the case. We don't, we don't know when we're ready. Sometimes it will come and slap you in the face and land at your doorstep and you're not ready. And this is what happened to me last year. I entered into the next lane of leadership was I quote unquote ready to some extent did it truly hit me and and did I truly realize you know what was going on and then I realized oh this is the next level from where I was at great to be here the question is that once you do get to that next level do you choose to stay do you want to go on or do you actually go back to what you were doing and the great market to always know, and this is, of course, if you're a leadership in your own right, not maybe organizational, but when you're doing something right and you're going into the next lane, there's a new round of haters. And I, I've got a new round of haters. I don't know where the old ones have gone. I think they got bored. I've got a whole new host of people that have come for their vitriol. So I'm obviously in a new lane because if, you know, and this is the thing, if, we are something to everyone, everyone will like you, you're not different, you're not distinct. So sometimes you will be thrust into a situation and whether you're ready or not, it's here. And then that's what actually requires our character and our courage and our confidence to then step up and our competence, of course, to say, all right, you know what? I can navigate this new lane. I can swim faster. I can make it work. I can do what I need to with all of this. But then if other people don't actually see your leadership value, but you think you are ready, well, that, you know, that just raises a whole host of questions. Is this the right organization for you? Are you actually, could you go out and do it on your own? Do you need to find people who do recognize your potential 
rather than only looking at you through the lens of your past. At the same time, has that individual worked on, of course, their self-image, their brand, their high income skills, persuasion, negotiation, influence, trust, all of that, which would allow them to then get to that position? Do they truly understand, especially at that executive entrepreneurial leadership level, everything is based on human psychology. So it's about what is the individual doing in that scenario to obviously project their worth and to make themselves so invaluable, so indispensable that everyone around them will never let them go, will pretty much give them whatever they demand because of how brilliant they actually are. So yes, whilst a lot of people may be brilliant because they think they have the technical acumen, that does it, that's not what cuts it to get to those leadership levels. And this is where people have an over-reliance on their technical laurels in order to get to the executive levels. You look at some and they're not technically brilliant by any measure, but they know how to play the game really, really well. And they know the rules. So it is a very you know, deep question, of course, but in both scenarios, it always comes down to how prepared are you? Because if the opportunity comes and you're not prepared, either way, it's too late. I mean, when I had to shift lanes last year, I was prepared. I, I could shift gears. I had the tools. I had to use them. I was prepared. When opportunity knocks, I'm ready. And this is the thing, whether management sees you as ready or otherwise, you have to be ready because opportunity isn't always in the siloed organization. It can be broader than that. And I think, you know, when we think about organisations and um, and organisational charts with your name in a box and the role title associated with it, I, I remember, hate them. A, yeah, I remember a, an old, a, like a leader that I had in the past said to me, you know, it, it, you need to choose the box that your, your name is in and you need to choose the title that's in, you know, that's associated with your name, um, you know, so we don't, you know, we can have the, oh, thank you very much. You know, you've given me that opportunity. You've given me the role. But I think it is, to, to your earlier point about planning, you know, to what extent are we methodically planning out what we want it to be as opposed to waiting for it to be given to us? That's right. And this is where people also get mistaken is that leadership is a title. It comes with a certain position. It comes with the organisation bestowing certain privileges and authority upon you. No, no. You have that authority at any level that you're at. And leadership is a function. And most people, when they look at leadership, they want the title, they want the executive status, they want the authority, they want all the glitz and glamour. They don't actually like love, the function of leadership, the whole lot of it. It's having those difficult conversations. It's being the person who is the face of all problems and everything that some people hate in the world. And that's, of course, from a thought leadership perspective, it's a much more vanilla in corporate. But leadership is a function. And if someone at any level, if they're not displaying the leadership function, then, of course, you're not going to be bestowed then the external markers of leadership, which is the title, the authority, the status within an organization. Mm. Good point, because I think what I'm taking away from that is go and get it and it's it's within you already. And it's a little bit like the conversation we had on confidence just a little earlier on, which is, you know, it, it's very likely to be within all of us, but we've just got to, we've got to get it and we've got to um, be able to tap into it on a very personal level. So Eleanor, the, the last question I've got for you today um, is one 
it's a you know it's a retrospective question it really um focuses on you know the learnings learnings of the past around leadership and in particular your progression through your leadership lanes what's the best piece of advice that you have received from a mentor or a leader uh, or something that's come you know through your own learnings around developing your leadership lanes it's really worked for you as you have developed as a leader there are again so many might be podcast episode number four but (laughs) I didn't get to where I am in two years because I tried to figure it all out by myself and to have the ego and the lack mentality to think, no, I can figure out everything by myself. No, you can't. There is so much out there that by the time someone would even distill it, apply it and master, it's been 10 years. What I've done in two years takes most people 10 years. I mean, I speak to people and they like, you know, I've been trying to write my book for 10 years. I've got three in one and a half years. And this isn't to say I'm better. I've made different decisions. And when I look back as to all the root calls, everything that I get to experience today, it's because I have a mentor and I have the best in the business. And that is Ron Malhotra. And that is the lesson. That is truly the lesson because there is not enough time. And if you are constantly making decisions based on your thoughts and paradigms of the past, you will simply perpetuate the same situation that you are in. And we as individuals are actually the worst people to hold up the mirror to ourselves and see who we can be and who we are. We're not good at doing that for ourselves. We're great at doing it for someone else, but not for ourselves. And that's why we need a mentor. And if it wasn't for my mentor, Ron Malhotra, I I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't have written a book about leadership. I wouldn't have actually had leadership on the ground frontline experience. And I would have still been scratching my head in year two thinking, hey, I've got a business over here. Come have a look. Like I would have been playing a small, small, small diminished game. So if there is one thing, that you will do for yourself and do the one thing that most people won't do because you can't be a leader if you will not take unconventional action and that is get a mentor and it has to be the right mentor for you not just a mentor it has to be the person who has the results that you want and would you actually trade places with them absolutely and there's there's, um the level of respect, I guess, that comes from that, the um, the learning exchange that can come from the two, you know, from and, and the chemistry, you know, I think it's like any relationship, you've really got to have that ability to understand each other and be willing to work with each other too. So it sounds like you've got a, a good one there. And that's a nice, a nice plug for your mentor too. I'm sure that they will be very pleased. Always wherever I go. He goes. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, it sounds like um, you know, he's been pivotal to the, you know, to the that very fast success too that you've had within that two years. So that's great. I think that those relationships, and you raise a really good point. We particularly if you've got that entrepreneurial bent as a leader, it's very tempting to try and pioneer and, and break your way through and do it yourself. But you run the risk of burnout, I think, at the end, you know. Whereas if you can have that support throughout, it just makes that journey a lot more pleasant as you go through that and there were so many things that I wouldn't have known to anticipate but Ron from even the early early days told me that I need to start prepping for this and when he was telling me about this I was a bit nervous but I'm like no what happened to me of course it happens to me but I was ready when it came I wasn't surprised and I didn't stop and this is the thing when most people when they get one or two roadblocks even a hurdle that is 60 centimeters off the ground they quit they stop they spend And it is not people who are always the most talented who win. It's the people who keep on 
going and they're not defeated and they're not derailed. Mm, it's that consistency, I think, which we do hear time and time again, just that consistency, the tenacity, patience too, um, to, to keep going and to, um, to, to just stay on course, particularly when you know fundamentally you're on the right path, but you will get knocked from, from time to time. Uh, the, the knocks come, they come thick and fast because people, you know, I, 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 I akin society to being like crabs in a bucket. The minute someone tries to stand out, to stand up for what they believe in, to be all of who they are, that makes other people feel truly uncomfortable, but that's none of my business. It's, you know, they need to raise their standard, not for me to drop mine. And I've dropped mine for too long that I won't do that again. Yeah. Good learnings, Eleanor. And I think so very, very powerful messages um, for those that are, you know, moving into their leadership lanes, but particularly for people in um, in industries that are, you know, that are traditionally male dominated um, and particularly for women that are, that are really making a change in that. So good on you because it sounds like you are doing some amazing work, particularly in that construction industry. So Eleanor, thank you for um, being our guest today on the Leadership Lane podcast. And of course, love these conversations. Thank you for the opportunity. You are very welcome. And no doubt we might have Eleanor back actually at some point because we do, I think we did tally up um, at least four different episodes <laughs> yeah. and conversations that we could have. So I'd love to chat with you another time. Done. Thanks, Eleanor. Thanks, everyone.